Hi, it's Pastor Bill Woods, and I just wanted to come and talk to you again this week. I'm still excited again, and when I think about Jesus and what he's done for us, how the grave could not hold him, how he's alive forevermore, how he's promised eternal life to everyone, me and you, everyone that accepts Christ as their personal Savior. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the situation after the, the uh, resurrection. Uh, it starts out, it was over. Jesus Christ was dead, and all the hopes and dreams of the disciples uh, had died too. It was so exciting while he was here on earth because you know, they, he, they saw his miracles, they uh, saw his teachings. It was wonderful. They had such high hopes, and now their hopes were dead. Peter and the rest of the disciples were in hiding just in case they were being hunted as fugitives because of their close association with Jesus and because of the hate that the Sanhedrin had for him and because the Romans probably would be looking for them because of their relationship to him. Jesus had been tried falsely. He had been condemned falsely. He had suffered needlessly. He had been executed by crucifixion falsely, and that was the most horrible death that they could come up with. And now his body lay lifeless in the grave, uh, waiting for the Sabbath to be over so that his followers could prepare his body. What would the authorities do to them if, if they found them? It just seemed like the whole world had fallen apart. The bottoms had dropped out of everything. Where was God in all of this? Why hadn't he stepped in and stopped it? Jesus had claimed that God was his father. Had he been on an ego trip? Was he mistaken? Would God really let this happen to his son? While the forlorn disciples sat totally defeated, not knowing how to pick up the pieces and go on with the rest of their lives, those uh, all of a sudden those high-strung women showed up saying the most ridiculous things. They told the story that Jesus was not in the grave, that his grave was empty, and that Jesus was risen. He was alive. The emotional roller coaster started up again. They were ecstatic. They were terrified. They were doubtful. Here was an emotional high beyond anything that they had ever experienced before. Mary Magdalene says she had seen Jesus in the garden tomb. If it was like that, what she said, what a high this was. Peter and John had gone to the tomb to see what was going on, and sure enough, the tomb was empty. Two of Christ's followers from Emmaus had returned telling how Jesus had walked and talked with them, telling them about what the scriptures said would happen to him, how this was prophecy being fulfilled. He had, got, had gotten to their home. They sat down to eat, and he prayed with them, said a blessing, and all of a sudden he disappeared. Then Jesus came twice to the disciples once when Thomas wasn't there, and uh, the disciples just were amazed to see Jesus Christ alive again. They told Thomas, Thomas said, I won't believe it until I see it for myself, until I put my fingers in the nail prints and my hand in his side. Eight days later, Jesus came again and said, Thomas, here I am. Put your hands in my side and put your uh, fingers in the nail prints. And it just was amazing. 
The band of disciples continued to hide in the upper room from the Jewish authorities. Fear still drained their raw emotions. The human psyche wasn't designed for such trauma as they had been going through, and they were exhausted, completely worn out. Peter finally said, I'm going fishing. This is how he handled stress. Six of the other disciples said, we'll go with you. It didn't help. They fished all night and caught nothing. They'd gone to all their favorite fishing spots. There didn't seem to be any fish in the lake that night. Now they were really discouraged. At daylight, these fishermen saw a man walking on the beach. The man hollered out to them, Have you caught any fish? They answered they had not, and it had been a waste of time as far as they were concerned. Well, the stranger yelled back, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat. Well, they looked kind of questioningly, what good would that do? But they thought, well, it won't hurt. And so they threw their net on the right side of the boat. Seemed like a wasted effort, but they found 153 of the slimy, stinking things in their net. John told Peter, it's Jesus. Jesus is here. Peter was so excited that he jumped out of the boat and swam to shore. Well, I, I think maybe Peter wanted to see Jesus alone before the others arrived because he was ashamed of what he had done by denying Christ. He was afraid of what Jesus might say, and he didn't want an audience for him to be dressed down like that. Well, when the other disciples arrived, Jesus had breakfast ready for them. Isn't that like Jesus? Taking care of their every need, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual needs. The disciples hadn't known, but throughout that hard, dark night, Jesus had been there all the time. He'd been watching over the men that he had just redeemed with his own blood. You know, Jesus is with us all the time, too. He cares for our needs. He has much invested in us, and he wants you to respond to him in love and accept him. He's ready to meet your needs as they occur. I remember one time when uh, our kids were still home, Kim had had an accident. She had burned her eye with a uh, uh, curling iron. And for some reason, our doctor that day called that morning. We didn't know, you know, what to do. And all of a sudden, the phone call came in, and Marty talked to him, and he told him how to handle, told her how to handle the situation. And it was God. God was there and moved the doctor to call us on that particular moment at that particular time, because Jesus takes care of his own. Well, this was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples. First, in the upper room without Thomas being there. Second, in the upper room with Thomas there. And third, now on the lake shore after they'd gone fishing. He had come and he had cooked their breakfast. Peter must have been very antsy throughout the whole meal, probably the first time that he didn't take seconds because of the stress. He didn't seem to have an appetite just then. He wanted to keep the subject light, and, and he had trouble making eye contact with Jesus. He remembered how he'd boasted, though everybody deserts you, I'll go with you, I'll die with you, and all that. And he remembered how he, he denied Jesus, that he even knew him. Suddenly, Jesus looked at Peter, and he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Oh, man, Peter thought. Here it was, the very thing that Peter hoped that he could avoid. We read in John 21, 15 through 19, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Well, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Well, it got deathly silent. The other disciples waited for Peter's response. They, they knew what had happened. They knew how Peter had, had denied Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't want to shame Peter. He wanted to lead him through an experience that would remove those, that guilt that clouded his relationship with Jesus because of this denial. Peter denied Jesus three times. Three times Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. When Peter answered yes, Jesus told him, feed my sheep. It's one thing to say you love Jesus. The real test is in your willingness to serve him, to obey him. Peter had repented, and now Jesus was asking him to commit his life uh, to, to the Lord. Peter's life changed when he finally realized who Jesus was. Jesus was not just somebody that uh, came to be the uh, temporary Messiah to break the bonds between the Jews and the Romans and all that. Jesus is the Son of God. Peter's career changed from fisherman to evangelist. His identity changed from impetuous to rock, and his relationship to Jesus changed. He was forgiven and finally understood the significance of Jesus' words about his death and resurrection. Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. The first time Jesus said, do you love, they used the word, Greek word agape, or volitional self-sacrificial love. He says, do you love me more than these? The second time Jesus focused on Peter, he still used the word translated into Greek agape. The third time, Jesus used the word translated into Greek philio, signifying affection, affinity, or brotherly love, and asked in effect, are you even my friend? Each time, Peter responded with a Greek word philio. Why did Jesus ask three times? Well, Peter had denied three times, and so he had to reaffirm his love three times. Remember, we're made of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And this wasn't just surface cleansing that Jesus was doing, but a total renewing. Jesus doesn't settle for quick superficial answers. He has a way of getting to the heart of things. Peter had to face his true feelings and motives when Jesus confronted him. 
Another thing Jesus accomplished in this encounter with Peter was to remove all the guilt, shame, and bitterness that Peter was carrying because of what he had done. If Jesus had not cleansed Peter of these, Satan would have tormented Peter for later for as long as Peter was alive. You need the same cleansing from your poor attitudes and bitterness and non-forgiveness, the guilt and shame which you'll have if you're not cleansed and filled with God's Holy Spirit. Bitterness is an acid that destroys a container, and the devil will gladly help you justify why you have a right to harbor bitterness about anything that's happened to you or anybody that's mistreated you. Because of this cleansing, Satan would have no handholds in Peter's life. He should, have, he should have none in yours. You need to commit your life 100% to Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do you respond when Jesus asks you, do you love me? Do you really love Jesus? Are you even his friend? Peter had to know how genuine his relationship with Christ was because the day would come when Peter would be all in uh, would be all he had and it, it would cost him his life. Let me try that again. Peter had to know how genuine his relationship with Christ was because the day would come that when Jesus would be all that Peter had and it would cost him his life. John 21, 18 and 19, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Suddenly, Peter was aware that John was there. John 21, 21 through 23, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about that man? Jesus said to him, it, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. It's interesting how concerned Peter became about what would happen to John. Jesus said, well, don't worry about John. Take care of your own life. You know, I can remember when I was growing up and my sister and I sometimes were, were asked to do chores or told to do chores. And my sister Peggy used to worry if she had to do a chore, did I have to do one too? She thought it wasn't fair if she had to do something that I didn't. You know, that's kind of where Peter was. Is John going to have to do something? If I have to do something, shouldn't he have to do something? Uh, we're so concerned about others, but we have a full-time job taking care of us. Jesus told Peter, don't worry about him. You follow me. You do what I tell you to do. Let me ask you, are you being faithful to the things God wants you to do? John concluded in his writing, if everything Christ did was recorded, the world couldn't contain the books that would be written. You know, Jesus is still busy. Jesus is still making history. Has he been able to write his love in your life? 
I want you to know we face some rough days that are coming. You need to be anchored in Jesus Christ so that you can be able to stand when the time gets hard and you can know that you're saved, that your life has been changed, that you're on your way to heaven and Jesus Christ is going to stand with you. Let's pray. Father, help each one of us that we would be willing to stand for you no matter what the situation, that, Lord, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. We are going to take a stand for Jesus Christ, and we are not going to deny, we are not going to back away, but we are going to live victoriously for you. Help those that are listening that don't know you as their Savior to know that this is the most important decision they can make in their entire life and help them to make that decision today to repent, to confess their sins to you, to ask you to be their Savior and to have their lives changed and be given eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen again, if you want to get in touch with me, my email address is lowercase r-e-v-w-m-w-w-o-o-d-s at gmail.com. My phone number is 623-845-2741. You can either call or text, and I will try to watch and be available if you need some kind of help. Or you can write to me, Box 4031, Sun Valley, Arizona, 86029. God bless you. I hope that you are living a life for Jesus Christ, that he is blessing you, and that uh, you are going to one day meet with all of us Christians around the throne of Christ, knowing that he's redeemed you from all sin. By the way, if you're in the Holbrook area, I would remind you that I'm preaching tomorrow morning at the First Baptist Church on 3rd and Buffalo, and I'm going to be talking about Showdown on Skull Hill, and I would like to see you there if you possibly could be there. It's a good church to come to, a lot of friendly people, and a place where, you know, you'll feel accepted, and a place where you can hear the Word of God. It, the service Sunday school, Marty happens to be teaching Sunday school tomorrow. Sunday school starts at uh, 9.45, and uh, morning worship starts at 11 o'clock. And then we will have an evening service at 6 o'clock talking about uh, the city of Ephesus and how that fits into God's plan. You're welcome to come. Love to see you. God bless you.